Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. All right, Ian, uh, we are uh, treated with a special guest today. We're very excited. Uh, Trevor Sycama of the Draft Network is with us at Tampa Bay Trey, uh, is joining us so that we can talk about... uh, combine we can talk about free agency we can talk about all kinds of stuff here uh so uh trevor fantastic happy to have you uh back on the show yeah guys it's always good to be with you it's been a while but um you know when i get to kind of resurface with with a lot of my uh with a lot of my football friends that means the draft is very near so we're definitely in the swing of draft season which is a good thing and it's uh it's always good to be with you guys and it's not going to be the last time we have you on since we'll have you on before the draft once we get closer to it and free agency has been run through and everyone's made their moves. So it, as we get ready for for Indianapolis, uh, what do you look for when you're out there covering it for the draft network and and looking at, at potential players and, and the moves that they can make up or potentially down depending on how they they do over the course of the week? Yeah, so it's it's funny how the combine is evaluated. And it really so many situations are different from from different players, but I, I think I'll just say like I love the combine as a spectacle, right? I mean, like growing up, I was the kid who would have my laptop pulled up in class like whenever the Thursday workouts were going on in the middle of the day, right? I mean, I'm doing all that kinds of stuff trying to watch everything that I can. I'm obsessed with the 40 yard dash who benched the most. And in reality, sure. All that stuff is a lot of fun. It's a lot of entertainment, but it shouldn't be where the starting point is for scouting. And I think that's the, the main thing that I would tell people, however you want to enjoy the combine, you can, if you really just care about the football games, you know, the Super Bowl was a couple of weeks ago, so you're finally like this is your first entrance into draft season, and you just want to you want to watch the combine. You don't want to have any um, pre notes on any of the players. You want to just see the guys who run fast and who's strong and who's standing out athletically. You can do that; it's fine. I'm not going to take that enjoyment away from you. I know a lot of people are in that same boat, but when it comes to scouting these guys, 
if you want to digest what the scouting combine is the right way, you have to have notes on these players going into it. This cannot be the first time you're seeing these players or like what they can do. What the combine is, is really it's a system of checking boxes. You want to be able to watch tape and go, okay, here's where this defensive end wins. He wins with speed. He wins with flexibility. He wins with bend around the edge. And he's a guy who's going to use his speed to really win at the next level. Well, if that's the case, he better be fast, right? I mean, like he better show up and he better be fast in Indianapolis. You better be able to check that box athletically if that's where he wins. Now, let's take another player at the same position, for example. Let's take a defensive end who maybe has a few more pounds on him. Maybe he's more of a hand-in-the-dirt guy, a traditional 4-3 defensive end. Well, maybe those guys win mostly off strength. Maybe he's more of a bull rusher. He's a guy who wins with strong hands. Well, in that case, you want not that the bench press is is, is a one in one correlation, but you want to see him be able to move well athletically, but also perform well in the areas where you would see strength. You know, like really getting into it on the on field drills, being able to throw up that weight explosively when it comes to the bench press. And so, a lot of times when you watch the combine, there's so many different drills, there's so many different ways to stand out. You can't just look at it and say, "Well, this guy did really good in this area." You've got to understand what that test translates to when it comes to playing and having success at the NFL level. And so when you look at the combine, you have an overview like that. It's situational from position to position and even player to player. But I would say that if you're going into it with a scouting mindset and you really want to know what these guys are able to do, or at least evaluate it the right way, you've got to have some notes on these players. You've got to have a film background on them. You have to already kind of know where they win and what their styles are and be able to see that when it comes to combine time. Definitely. So all that being said, when you look at uh, the Denver Broncos situation as they head into uh, the draft and free agency and all those things, are there position groups? Are there players? Is there anybody specifically who uh, you think uh, Denver should be looking at who is a good fit uh, for the Denver Broncos? Like who should we be watching at the combine? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's plenty of players that the Denver Broncos would have their eyes on. Certainly, it, it goes from rounds one to seven, and there's a lot of under-the-radar guys that um, the GMs and scouts and everything are looking to really check boxes for because you don't exactly have that competition level that maybe some of the D1 guys have that might be drafted in the top 50. So it's a good exercise there to see, hey, I watched this guy play at an FCS level or maybe even a D3 level here's how he stacked up athletically with guys that I watched all year D one. So in terms of the later guys, you kind of get a better idea of how they might be matched up against other players in the class, but let's just, yeah, for Denver, for example, they're looking for a vertical stretching wide receiver, right? They've got Corlin Sutton. He emerged. I thought he had a great year, but he needs a compliment. I think Deshaun Hamilton, I like Deshaun Hamilton. I really do. I think he could be a good slot player. I think he wins um, with some precision in his route running, and he's kind of more of a short area guy, but they need a guy to stretch the field. They need that total compliment, especially to the X role that Sutton's playing. When you hear that, you think, okay, some guys like Henry Ruggs III, Jalen Rieger, maybe even KJ Hamler, Brandon Ayuk, those kinds of guys who are those vertical space stretchers who might be really good compliments in that offense for what they have right now. So with those guys, you get to watch the exciting drills with those guys, right? The 40 yard dashes, the vertical jumps, the broad jumps, the explosive testing uh, in terms of the lower body. That's what you're looking for with those guys that you really want to stretch the field at the offensive tackle position. Offensive tackle means a lot in the combine, but it's more of movement control and measurables are a really big deal for offensive linemen. We know the Broncos have some tackle needs. You know, they're picking at 15. That's just on the cusp. They might have, there's four offensive tackles at the top of this class, right? Jedrick Wills, Kai Becton, Andrew Thomas. And uh, who's the the fourth, uh, the fourth one that's worse. I'm blanking on. Um, yes, 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 yes. Tristan works. Thank you. Um, so those are the four guys that are really considered those first round impact offensive linemen. You're going to be able to get to see how well those guys move, but more importantly than say how they run a 40 yard dash, like how, the, how far they run a standing 40. What matters to offensive linemen is kind of explosiveness out of their snap. And as they're going through the on the field drills and even like the athletic drills in general, maybe the jumps, um, a couple of the short shuttles, things like that watching their core, seeing how well put together they are. Do they hold their weight well? Are they athletic with the bigger body? Because let's just face it, 
the league is about having athletes. And when you're a bigger body, if you can be a bigger athlete, that's always a plus. It's tough to do, but it's always a plus. So those are some names to keep an eye on, uh, especially for an impact position that the Denver Broncos might want to pick there at number 15. And then the other one I think is corner. Linebacker is a need. I would say they'd love to get themselves some Isaiah Simmons, but I just don't think he's going to be there at 15. So you could have fun, kick back, and watch him blow up the combine because it's going to be a lot of fun. But I don't really think that he's he has a chance to be a to be a Bronco. But in so terms my, of corner, my love it's a great, for him is no good because he won't be there. I, the I just I just don't think that he's going to be there, man. Okay. You know, he's such a fun player, and you know the Broncos have somewhat of a corner knee too, right? I was kind of just getting into talking about that. And Isaiah Simmons almost has the ability to take out two of those needs with one pick. So I think if the Broncos are a team that could, that could if, trade up to get them if you want to, but if they want Isaiah Simmons, they're going to have to get up above 15. There's too many teams that would want him right above where they're picking, but corner two, you know, there's guys like Jeffrey Akuda. There's guys like uh, Christian Fulton who are high impact players Trayvon Diggs, CJ Henderson, you know, Jeff Gladney, you're trying to figure out a lot of, okay, how well do these guys stack up with the rest of the class? And I think that, you know, as it shapes up for what the Broncos need, this is a pretty good class. I think it lines up pretty well, especially when you talk about picks going uh, in the top 50 or even top 100. You mentioned Henry Ruggs. In terms of the 15th pick, do you think he'll be there? And is where does Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs, and you mentioned Rieger from TCU, where do all those guys rank and who is most likely to be there at 15, do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I think that all three of the top guys, um, we'll talk about Rieger in a second, but all three of the top guys, Judy, Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, they would all fit, I think, what the Broncos want and what the Broncos need as a complement to what really Cortland Sutton has been in their offense. It could really start to round out their passing attack well. I think at least one of them is for sure going to be there at 15. I would be shocked if all three went off the board before that pick because you got to think, you know there's going to be a quarterback frenzy. So I've got to think that four quarterbacks are probably going in the top 15 if three or four offensive linemen go in the top 15, two corners, two wide receivers, Isaiah Simmons in there as well. That's not even to mention the edge rushers, Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw. You're running out of picks, right? You're there. You can only have 14 picks in front of where the Broncos select. So a couple, you know, you could, you could talk to a lot of people and in a vacuum, they might go, Oh no, that guy's a, a top 10 talent, a top 12 talent. He's not going to be here. And I go, okay, I hear you. But on draft night on draft weekend, only 14 guys can go above where the Denver Broncos are. So if they're looking at wide receiver, I really do think one or at least one, maybe even two of those players are going to be on the board for them to select if that's the way that they want to go. Just because of kind of what I've been hearing, I think there is an increasing chance that Henry Ruggs might not be there because of, I think, the way that he's going to go crazy at the combine. Now, if Jerry Judy also goes crazy with him, that, that would then balance out the hype a little bit. But I think one of Ruggs or Judy and then also CeeDee Lamb is going to be there at 15 for them to pick. That's the 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 thought that I've been getting. That's what I've been hearing. A lot of stuff and perception and inside info gets swapped around uh, during Combine weekend, so I might have a better answer for you if you ask me after this. But as of right now, I think that at least two of those guys are going to be there. To, and to, to follow up with Henry Ruggs, Benjamin Albright is one of the few who says that Ruggs is actually the most complete receiver in the draft, not just because of his speed, but because of how he does all of it. How do you rank Ruggs? And you mentioned one of my questions was going to be, does Ruggs potentially blow up the combine with how he performs in the 40 and those other those other tests? It, it, where do you who would who do you think is the most complete receiver at this point? going into the combine and, and obviously into the, the draft in April. Yeah, there's a chance of drugs. I mean, I don't, I don't finish my complete evals until after the combine when I get athletic testing and I get to, like we said before, check a lot of those boxes. But 
there is a chance that Ruggs could still end up being my wide receiver one. I mean, he, for what he does, it's incredible. And and this is not a John Ross type. You know, if you've heard me talk on my podcast before, whatever, you've heard me kind of pound the, pound the drum of this. Like, this is not a John Ross kind of player. When John Ross was coming out a couple of years ago, when he ran the 4-2-2 40-yard dash, I knew that everybody was going to fall in love with him. And even the second that he ran it, I was excited just like everybody else. It was a lot of fun to watch, but I said, like, you're not going to be able to get that 4-2-2 speed for as long as you think that you are. And it turns out, like, this is a guy who was hurt a lot when he was in college, had lower body injuries at that, and then a lo- just did not do well with contact. Ruggs, not of that nature. Ruggs has the 4-2 the speed, okay? He's got the angle-destroying straight-line speed to really blow plays open for you. I think he does great in open space as well. He is tough at the catch point. He really is. And that's something that I love about him too. And there was a play. I'll tell you about his toughness. There was a play against Old Miss. I think it was in 2018. I believe it was in 2018. Where Alabama was up 49-10 to 10 on Old Miss in the fourth quarter. Okay? The game is over. There is no reason to go all out. There really isn't. Ruggs gets a slant pass, or I think it's an in route, just right at the 10, 15-yard line. He gets this pass, and he has a straight shot to the end zone. Now, waiting for him right at the goal line was a corner, a safety, and a linebacker. And instead of, you know, going easy on that route, knowing they're basically up by 40 points, the game's almost over, there's only one quarter left, Ruggs put his foot in the ground and ran full speed at all three of these dudes and cracked all three of them at the goal line to score the touchdown. This is the kind of player that we're talking about here. The four, the four, two flat, four, three flat speed is what catches your eye. And that's what you love about him. But when Ben Albright himself says, Hey, this guy's a complete receiver. This is what he is talking about. It's just, it is so rare that you get players with his, with Ruggs kind of speed that also love contact the way that he did at Alabama. If you get that kind of player into the NFL, absolutely with a top 15 pick, no doubt about it. One of the things that's been uh, a focus, at least in Denver, was the announcement that Fangio wasn't going to send his assistant coaches and Sean McVay wasn't going to do it as well. What do you make of that? And is it a big deal? Is it, is it something that really isn't that big of a deal? Cause I, I kind of view the, the combine, as you mentioned, where you're just checking boxes where it's kind of like a, a phone interview or a screening call when you're going through the job process, you're still going to get the chance for the assistant coaches to interview the guys. If they're serious about them, when they bring them in for their 30, their top 30 visit or whatever it is for the, to the facility, what do you make of Fangio making that decision? And um, is it a big deal or not? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't I don't know if it's a big deal just because I don't know how many teams have necessarily done this before. But I will tell you from stories that I've heard just from guys who have been within organizations, whether it's been position coaches, assistant coaches, talking with GMs, there is such thing as having too many cooks in the kitchen. There really is when it comes to draft time because a lot of these guys turn their attention to it. They want all these prospects. They're pounding the table for their position, guys. And you hear a lot of voices and you get a lot of clutter. Now it's up to the GM, yes, to ultimately make that decision, but he doesn't need to make it harder than it already is. It's already tough to predict how how these guys are going to pan out as pros. And so when it comes to leaving the assistant coaches at home, we've seen some behind-the-scenes videos of sometimes, you know, for, for example, the Philadelphia Eagles. When they had Carson Wentz in with their combine interview, they basically had their quarterbacks coach running the whole thing. Basically, it was him and Carson Wentz going back and forth on a on a whiteboard talking about plays, all that kind of, because that was the guy that was going to be working with them. So they let him do that. Now, that's pretty cool in theory, especially knowing that the Philadelphia Eagles picked Carson Wentz. But what about the other guys that they also interview that the position coaches might get their hands on him? And now all of a sudden, when you're trying to build your big board, or even maybe less than that, when you're trying to build that prospect visit list, you've got so many people pounding the table saying, I want to have this guy in. I wanted this guy high on our board. We got to have this guy on our team. And all of a sudden, it's so many voices that are going up against each other. It might just be overwhelming. It could cloud your thoughts and your judgment. And so 
I think it's an interesting strategy, especially if Fangio is coming from the the position of myself, the general manager, John Elway, and and maybe, you know, certainly a couple other people probably in the room. It's going to be a small group of people that interview these players at the Combine in order to form that list of prospect visits that we're going to do. And then when we do those, that's when we'll rope the position coaches in. That's when we'll get them to meet with these players and see what they think. But in terms of the guys that we want to bring in, the guys we already know we would want as Denver Bronco players, that they leave to a smaller group. And so if that's their mindset, I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting strategy and I'd love to see how it works and the success of it. Because in theory, I really like the idea of it. I'm total. You just sold me on it. Like I, I wasn't against it, but now I'm totally <laughs> sold on it. It's fantastic. Vic Fangio's a it, genius. Listen, apparently. if that's, <laughs> if, if that's, if that's the way that they're approaching it, I think that's a very healthy way to view the process. Well, we'll just, that's, yeah, that's how they're doing it. And it also limits the amount of people who know about it and can potentially leak it to other teams or to the media so people don't really know what it is the Broncos are going to be doing and who they're going to be focusing on. So that's another possibility with it. True as well. So I have a question for you. I'm going to go back to more of like the uh, position groups and whatnot. Is there a position group that you see uh, as having uh, the potential to kind of really shake up as far as where the guys are slotted right now. When you look at uh, rankings of players, and I know, you, you, like you said, you're sort of waiting to rank your players until after the combine. But obviously there are rankings of, of different position groups. You know, this is your tight end 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, straight down the line or whatever. Is there a group going into the combine that you think could be uh, shifted around based on like player rankings, just based on their performances at the, the combine? Yeah, certainly. Uh, wide receiver is one of the positions um, just because there's so many guys that have the potential to really show out. It's wide receiver is one of those positions that when you go to the combine, the drills that they perform in can directly correlate success in the NFL, right? If you are a vertical stretching guy, you've got to run fast, right? I mean, you've got to be able to get from A to B 40 yards down the field pretty fast. And so how you get out of a stance, how you get into your top speed, that's a big deal there. Vertical jumping speaks for itself, right? Going up and getting the football. So the 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 further you can jump or the, the higher you can jump, the better you are. And then the three-cone drill as well. How quickly you move your feet could tell how quickly you could pick up and, and how well of a route runner you could be. And so because this wide receiver class is so deep, that's where I'd go right away as the position that could really just start to shake up or even just solidify itself one way or the other when we get some official athletic testing on these guys. And then the other one is edge rushing. Edge rushing is about traits. It is. Yes, you obviously need to be sound and disciplined uh, in your technique, what you know you do best, how you win at the next level. But, you know, John Ledyard, a former colleague of mine who now works with Peter Report, Uh, He said this on Twitter not too long ago when he said that edge rush, you have to be able to scout edge rushers via their traits almost more than any other position because offensive tackles in the NF or in college football are often bad. Like they're just not good. There's not a lot of good offensive tackles. I mean, that goes all the way up to what we're seeing in the NFL when it comes to free agency. If you have a tackle who is even just like fine, they're going to get paid. You're going to keep them on your team. You don't want to lose them. You keep them because there are so few guys that can win as offensive tackles. Imagine now how it is at the college football level when the competition gets even more diluted. Okay. So as you are watching and evaluating those pass rushers, you've got to be able to do it off of traits. And a lot of traits that go from college to the NFL have to do with an athletic profile, right? Speed and burst out of a stance, how well you can bend around the edge, how quickly you can move your hands, how quickly you can move your feet, how well, how controlled you stay in your body. Even for guys who are fringe outside linebacker types, can you drop your hips and drop back into coverage? All that kinds of stuff. You figure it out and you just get to see which guys are more natural than the other one when they go back to back to back in Indianapolis. And so I'd say that those two positions really have a chance to either shake up or solidify what we thought of them um, based on what happens here uh, next week. I'm going to change it up a little bit and ask you, there's a debate going on in Broncos country because it, it really seems like Chris Harris Jr. Is, is done in Denver. So there's two potential targets that the Broncos could get to replace him. 
One is a trade with the Lions for Darius Slay. The other is to go after Byron Jones. What? Who would you target to be the guy to, to get into Fangio's defense and pretty much be the cornerback one, maybe along with Bryce Callahan, and potentially bringing in a guy like Prince of Mukamura who is with Fangio in Chicago? I would say certainly like in a vacuum, Darius Slay would be the player that I would go after. I think that his profile fits more what Fangio would like to do, how he would be able to get more aggressive. I think Byron's a very athletic player, and he's a guy who's played both safety and corner. Um, But in terms of a replacement for a guy like Chris Harris, I know he's moved around a lot and done a lot of different corner work, but if the price tag would be right, I think my number one target would be to go after a guy like Darius Slay. And I think that that would also work well with their – with their draft strategy too, because if you do something like that, it depends what his price tag for the pick is that you're going to have to trade to go get him. Um, Do you guys, I can't remember. Have have they said, have the lions maybe said what they're looking for? The only thing that I've heard is, is Mike Cliss said that the, the lions were the ones to actually reach out about a potential deal where Slay would have come to, to Denver and then Chris Harris jr. Would have gone to Detroit. And I think the asking price right now is a second round pick. So I think that'd be the starting mm-hmm. point. I think if it could get down to a third or a fourth, I, I, I could potentially see it happening. But if they stand firm at a two at a second round pick, I think that might be too high. Yeah, that's a little too rich. I honestly think if you're going Harris and Slay and you're going to swap, I think a fourth round pick should be able to get it done if you wait a little bit on it. So if you do that, then you've still got your top picks intact. Um, That allows you to have the freedom to draft one of those high-impact wide receivers up at the top or one of the offensive tackles if they fall. You know, like if a Makai Becton is there or uh, a Tristan Wirfs. I don't think think Tristan Wirfs is going to be there, but you know what I'm saying. If you can narrow your field of needs and allow yourself to fill one in free agency via trade, Oh, and then and then fill another one in the draft. I think that's very ideal. You're getting you're getting two impact players, and you're solving uh, you're solving a big piece of your puzzle there. Are there so another question? Kind of back to the combine because this is one that we had talked about a little bit before. But uh, uh, Lavisca Chenault is, has got some injury questions, and so does uh, Tua. Right? Everybody kind of knows those questions. But are there other guys at the combine that that we should maybe keep our eye on as far as like medicals, weigh-ins, those kinds of things that maybe teams might want to avoid because of those injury questions or concerns. Um, I mean, those are the big ones, obviously two are getting checked by all the doctors at the combine. I feel bad for him, man. They're going to, they're going to poke and prod and pull on that dude for like four straight days to figure out what's up with him. Usually got to pay uh, extra for that. Wait. <laughs> it's very true. Um, I did, you know, Chenault and the groin, we, we were, we were tipped off to that about a couple of weeks ago. And so, we kind of knew that that was coming. That's that's an unfortunate thing because he's a guy who wins off his athleticism. And if he's not going to be able to perform the way that he needs, he needs to, that's not good there. Cal Safety, uh, Ashton Davis, he told me at the Senior Bowl that he had a procedure done in his groin, but he was going to be able to work out at the Combine. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I haven't heard anything otherwise, but... Man, having groin surgery at the beginning of January and then telling yourself you're going to be ready to perform in what is the most important athletic test of your life in February, I don't know about all that. I think that they're going to wait to have him do it at the pro day. But, like, he's a big guy where the combine means a lot to Ashton Davis because he's an athletic dude. Like, the athletic profile is what he predicates his game off of. And so when he can't work out, when he can't prove that, that's a little out of sight, out of mind for him. Javon Kinlaw is a big one just because of weight. I want to know what weight he's coming in at. Same as AJ Epinesa from Iowa. They list him at 280. I don't think he played at 280. So I would like to know what weight he's going to come into the combine. If it's right around 270, that tells me he played at 275, man. He didn't play at 280. So still a bigger dude, but you know, every pound matters, I think. And then Makai Becton is another big one for me because he's he's listed at 6'7, 270 pounds. And there's about only one player that big in the NFL. And it's Trenton Brown. Like that's it. Like that. Like the, the dudes that big just do not play starting roles, even at offensive tackle. So would love to see, and I'm very anticipated to see what weight he comes in at, height and weight from a Kai Becton, because measurables mean a lot in that regard to those guys. And so I think that's probably 
for corners as well, it means a big deal. A lot of these schools lie about cornerback size, you know, just to to give their guy an extra boost. I want to see, hey, is this guy that you listed at 6'1", 6'2", actually that size? Because if he is, then you're talking about a guy with a lot of length, a lot of size profile that you would you would bet on that you could potentially play man coverage and play press coverage with. And so you want to check that box for a lot of guys too. You know, Jeffrey Akut is one of those guys, CJ Henderson, uh, Trayvon Diggs, certainly Cam Dantzler, although I don't think that it's, it's a question whether or not he's above six one. But those are the kind of guys that it's like, all right, these they're listed at six one and bigger. You got to come in at that at that height if if I want to think that you've got that kind of length. So I'd say that those are those are a handful of names when it comes to measurables. I'm looking out for. So we got the combine covered. Now we can get into the real important stuff, and that <laughs> your journey through Game of Thrones. And those who aren't on social media, oh man, I've <laughs> seen Tampa Bay Trays at Tampa Bay Trays thread through Game of Thrones. You, you have to check you it gotta out. Check it, it out. Is, it is incredible, especially for somebody who's watched the show and Adam has watched the show. It is just, it is phenomenal stuff. So it's okay. Pin, there's it's a question. Pin, there, it's pinned right? to my profile. If anybody needs it, it's pinned to my profile. It's the top tweet there. Cause I know that that's why people are starting to follow me. It's just for the game of Thrones thread. It's not for NFL drafts. I was going to say, tell people how to find it. Yes. It's, it's pinned. It's definitely <laughs> worth it. You know, it's, I, I will say it's fascinating to watch somebody go. And I, obviously, I'm not sitting in the room. I didn't take the video. But uh, it is fascinating to watch somebody's journey through a show like this. And for for the people who are out there who have not watched the show, if you're worried about spoilers, I guess turn this off. But don't because this will be fun. But if you've watched the show, this this to me is fascinating to sort of see your bullet points after every episode and your just your basic takeaways like it almost feels like you're going through this show kind of like you describe the way you look at the combine like you're you're checking boxes you're making notes it does it feel like that to you right. a little bit uh it's a little less strenuous well i'm a little <laughs> bit more relaxed for my game of thrones scouting notebook than i would be for uh for a prospect player but this show is so and so i'd like i feel like I take pride in being up to date on a lot of pop culture stuff, but for whatever reason, I never got into game of Thrones. I'm not sure if I just, you know, the first time it really came on my radar, if, if it was like four or five seasons in at that point, I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to have time to watch this. I'm not going to watch it, whatever. But now that the show is over and everybody freaked out about it, I kind of went back as like, all right, why not? Everybody, everybody seemed to love this show it was the most popular show in the world for about four or five years. So I'll do it. And the layers that this show has from character to character to to kingdom and storylines it's just wild man it's such a good show it's such a fun show to follow i mean i'm to the point now i'm four seasons in so i'm about halfway through i'm to the point where like i'm just ready to hammer next episode every time every time it ends like i'm just ready for the next one i'm just like binging all these things and so Dude, the show is wild, man. It's such a – the character development is so crazy. It's been so much fun to follow. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. If you're listening to this and you haven't watched it and you want to watch it, turn this off. But, like, I just saw Joffrey die, and I could not have been more pumped. Like, <laughs> Joffrey dying was a top three moment in my life. Truly. <laughs> I've been life. tweeting at the end. I've been tweeting at the end of my updates. I can't wait for Joffrey to die for, like, three straight seasons. And when he finally did – what a relief that was to get that character out of there, man! That was crazy. Is there and, is there a character that stands out to you like you, that has a story arc that you've really like locked onto and enjoyed? I mean, you're like you said, you're what season four. So is there is there somebody who you sort of yeah. identify with that you were really rooting for? Well, um, I appreciate you bringing me up, bringing this up, and making me talk about it. But like, I loved Rob Stark. Oh. Like, I, like Rob was Rob was awesome, and obviously, R.I.P. Rob and the rest of the Starks from uh, from the Red Wedding episode, which was truly, truly a devastating time in my life. Uh, one that I needed <laughs> days to reflect on. So I loved Rob Stark. Um, I kind of felt like Rob was like too good for this world as I was watching the show. Like I knew he was going to die at some point because George R. R. Martin and the rest of the producers did. You you can tell when somebody's about to die. Well, not totally because the show is very surprising. It, it always keeps you on edge because you never know what they're going to do. But 
if there is a character that just ev- everyone absolutely loves, I've got to think they're dying soon. Like, I'm just that cynical <laughs> at this point that they're just going to take them away from uh, me. You know what I'm saying? So, reach that level. I of will Game say, though. Yes. Yeah, so, outside of Rob, though, Jamie's story arc is super interesting to me right now because the show starts and obviously like he's with Cersei pushes Bran out the window. Like he's this pretty boy, son of a King who can do whatever he wants and like all this kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden, like he gets captured in war. He's got to sit in his own crap. for months. He's, he's a prisoner of the Starks while they're at war with the Lannisters. Then cat lets him out and he's with Brienne and the first part of what, what when he's with Brienne going back to King's Landing, it's like he's still this sarcastic asshole that like you're just like, God, I hate you. But then as he like as his character kind of like gets to rock bottom, he becomes this different person to where I'm at the point right now. I don't know Jamie's ending, but I'm at the point right now to where he returned to King's Landing and it's almost like he tried a little bit to resume the life that he once had. And then he realized they're not those people anymore. Like Cersei and Joffrey and even his dad. And like, those aren't the, like, those aren't the people that I remember. They're they've, they've changed. And then Jamie realizes like, Oh damn. But like, so have I, like, I don't want just like, no matter what's good for the Lannisters. Like he doesn't like he, it's almost like he has a heart at this point. And, He's honestly become one of my favorite characters. I say that, and I'm probably going to regret it. You guys are probably like <laughs> laughing under your breath because no, no, something no. happens I, to I, Jamie. But no, his no, no spoilers. His here. character arc has been super fascinating. I, okay, all right. Appreciate I got one it. more thing I got to say ab- about this to you, and it's it's my favorite tweet from this thread. And uh, yes. there's there's a couple of really good ones. I love the video of you watching uh, watching the red wedding. I think that's fantastic. And if if you're listening, go find it, watch it. You'll you'll I felt it. Because I remember feeling that same way. But the tweet I love the most, season three, episode nine, you son of a bitch. That is perfect. That is per. It was the perfect essence of how everybody felt while watching The Red Wedding. And so I, that is my favorite quote yeah. from Tampa Bay Trey of all time. Yeah, there was. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't know. There are a couple of things that I know of the show just because I was on Twitter when it was going on. Like, so there are little, like there are times where I knew, I knew something happened in that episode. And a lot of people who watched the show live, they say that the way that show or that episode caught them off guard was unlike anything that they've ever experienced in a show before. And so I didn't get like the full raw reaction, but the second the doors closed to the dining hall where they were at at the wedding, I was just like, no, they're not like not all of them. Like they're not going to they're not going to kill all of them. They can't do this. There's no way somebody escapes. Please don't tell me this. And so I did get. To, uh, but, yeah, that was my raw reaction. I thought that George R. R. Martin was a uh, son of a bitch for <laughs> for doing that to me. He definitely was. I, I'm with you on that one. I am with you on that one. So uh, one thing I want to ask before we we let you go is, uh, how do you think the story progresses, and what's your prediction for how it ends? So, so it's so hard for me to even say that at this point with four seasons to go because we're just getting like the wildlings are just attacking the wall right now. So I don't know what happens there. I the White Walkers, I mean, it just seems like everybody's killing themselves to the point where whenever the White Walkers are actually going to come, which we know, which we know that they are, um, it just seems like all of the forces in the in the the, the realm, if you will, are going to be so depleted after killing each other for the Iron Throne that like the White Walkers are just going to come in and like destroy everybody. The, the most interesting part to me is what's going on with with um with Khaleesi with Danny right now because she's got the biggest army she's now got the largest like uh, number of slaves she basically has like four cities that she rules across the narrow sea and she's got three dragons so like i don't know what's going to happen because the white walkers can't do fire and if Danny kind of like rolls in with three dragons i got to feel like they stand no chance but at the same time like i i don't know man it's just 
there's so many crazy things that are happening right now. And I'm at people have told me that these next few seasons, four or five, really just four and five, are like the best television that they've ever watched. So whew, I'm super looking forward to digging into it, man. This is this is becoming a full-on addiction to me watching this show. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, here's what we're gonna do then. We're gonna have you back on to obviously talk more Broncos and draft and free agency, but we're going to get into this because I cannot wait to see where you go as you go through this Game of Thrones journey. It's been way too much fun for me. I think, I think I'm going to be done with it. I think I'm going to be done with it by April, like sometime in April, I, I'm, I'm going to be done with the show. So I'm going to, I'm going to need an outlet to freak out. So I'm, I'm all good with that plan. We're here for well, you. We we're your outlet are. to do it. So <laughs> appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks Trevor. And follow him at Tampa yeah, of course, Bay Trey. Yeah. Tampa Bay at Tampa Bay Trey for all the tidbits and the game of Thrones. Anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U S like I am now identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And welcome back from that ad break. Uh, one thing that we touched on with, with Trevor was the Chris Harris Jr., Darius Slay, Byron Jones stuff. And the reason we talked about it is... Chris Harris did an interview with uh, Nikki Jabavala of The Athletic and Justin Adams on CBS4. And he had this quote, and I think it's very telling. I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on it, Adam. Mm -hmm. Here's the quote. I didn't really do what I've done in the past, Harris said. I previously played everywhere on the field on the defensive side, getting everybody lined up, telling them what's about to happen and things like that. But when really... When you just have me at corner, I'm just playing corner. I'm doing. I'm not doing everything that I'm doing on the football field. A lot of times last year, definitely when we had some communication errors, but a lot of that happens when teams are going hurry up and coach is adamant about me getting on the on the receiver. He's adamant. So again, what what do you make of that comment? I, I mean, okay. So let me let me preface this by saying how much I like Chris Harris Jr. and I don't think I'm any different than anybody else in Broncos country. We love Chris Harris Jr. and what he's meant to this franchise. And that being said, I don't understand this quote. Uh, my big issue with it is this is a guy who wants to be paid like a number one corner, right? You want to be a number one corner. You want to be paid like a number one corner. Well, your job is to get on the receiver. Your job is to is to to take out the number one receiver for the opponent. And it's, it's not about you being the field general, or it's not about you being the guy who gets everybody lined up. At that point, it's about you being the best at your position and taking on the best player across the field from you as far as wide receivers go. So I, I'm not really sure I follow what what Chris Harris Jr. is saying here. I, I, I guess I get that he misses being sort of all over the field. Maybe that's what he's trying to say, and, and he's possibly putting some stuff out there as to say, you know, I want to go to a place where I'm going to be more than just the corner on the outside. He likes to play in the slot, I think. That's my sort of view of him is he has a slot corner. That's where he's best. And so he probably didn't like having to be more than just a slot corner, but also having to be on the outside and cover that number one receiver. But but I also sort of feel like, and, and I'm curious what you think of this thought here. As you watch a guy like Chris Harris Jr., start to inch towards being gone. And this is really, I think, what the takeaway is. He's gone. He's not going to be with the Broncos anymore, and that's fine. It's great. But as you start to get ready to leave, you start to look for 
ways to say why you want to leave or the you're, you're searching for a reason. This to me feels like a guy who is grasping for some type of reason to give to everybody as to why he doesn't think he's coming back. When the truth is he's not coming back because the contract that he's looking for is too big. And what the Broncos are asking him to do is something he's not comfortable with. And so you can't really say that. He can't say, well, I'm asking for too much money and I don't want to do what they want me to do. So you you start trying to say like, well, I didn't enjoy doing this. And I, you know, he was adamant about me being on the receiver and I liked being able to sort of line guys up. I get all that. But this is just a guy who is, you know, the next time you talk to him, he might say something that's totally the opposite of this, but still looking for a way to talk about why he's not going to be back and explain that away. That's that's the way I start to sort of see this because it 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 feels disingenuous to say something like, well, I want to be the field general, which is really what I take from that, when you're supposed to be the number one corner on the team and so you need to cover the number one receiver on your opponent's team. Like that's, it just doesn't work. Though You can't have those two things. That's what I, that's what I, I didn't wash with me for that statement is he wants to be paid as a top cornerback in the league, but when his coach asked him to do it, he couldn't do it, and he doesn't want to do it. And we saw what happens when Chris Harris Jr. lines up up against anybody with speed or ability. He gets burnt. Just ask Stephen Diggs and Tyreek Hill. When there were big plays made against this defense, last season in particular, it was usually with Chris Harris Jr. in coverage. So while he can throw out all these all this stuff about how he's used to being the field general and getting people lined up, if you're going to do that, you better line up and do it yourself. And I'm not trying to disparage Chris Harris Jr. I, I am with you. I think Chris Harris Jr. is an all-time Bronco. But when you're asked to do something and you think that you are the number one cornerback – and the coach is adamant that you are the number one cornerback and you do it and you don't want to do it, that that seems, as you said, disingenuous to me. I, I don't understand that. He wants top cornerback money, but when his coach asked him to be the top cornerback, he doesn't want to do it and he wasn't capable of doing it. That That's just weird to me. And... Th- this is something that I noticed a couple of days ago is if you look at Chris Harris Jr.'s uh, Twitter bio, it no longer says Broncos cornerback. It says NFL cornerback. So, it, it, I mean, it's it, the writing has been on the wall for over a year. It's on his Twitter that wall. Harris, <laughs> that Chris Harris Jr. is not going to be back with the Broncos, but now I think it's abundantly clear. And I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Simmons is the only – free agent the Broncos have who is back maybe Derek Wolf but aside from that I think everyone else is gone yeah I I, I tend to agree with you on that um I, I think Wolf is back just because his injury I think sort of clouds the market for him a little bit and so it makes it a little bit easier for the Broncos to give him an offer that uh that is team friendly so to speak uh and and I think that Derek Wolf will find that he's probably going to be uh roped into a sort of a team-friendly deal, and, and that's okay. Uh, but I, I do think that as far as Justin Simmons goes, he gets the franchise tag and then probably a big contract, which he certainly deserves. And then Chris Harris, like you said, writing's on the wall. He's on his way out the door. I, I would I would prefer, and I know that it's difficult because you got people asking you questions and you got, you know, you, you've got uh, you know, media in your face and, and it's all out in, in public, all of this stuff that's happening with Chris Harris Jr. and his job, it's all public knowledge. We're all watching it unfold right in front of our faces. It's on our TV. It's on our computer screens. It's on our phones. It's everywhere. So it's one of those things where it's got to be difficult for him as he is essentially leaving to, to be able to leave with some grace and some dignity. And he's trying to sort of protect himself a little bit there. And at the same time, he he, I think he feels slighted by the Broncos. And and whether he's justified in that feeling or not, he's going to make statements that certainly appear like there's a slight in some way towards him. And, and that's fine. That's all well and good. But the preference, at least for me in this case, would be for him to just come out and say, I have loved my time here in Denver, 
but it's clearly come to an end. I'm going to be moving on in free agency, and that's perfectly fine. I wish them the best of luck. I know that I'm going to go do what I can do with whichever team I, I sign a contract with. Uh, I, I love Broncos country, uh, Denver Broncos for life, all those things that he needs to say, and then and then go, and then bye-bye. And then after he retires, we'll bring him back, we'll put him in the ring of fame, uh, and we'll celebrate how great he was, and, and, and it'll be great. No animosity, no hard feelings. This is the business. Now just go ahead and move on. But it's hard to do that when there are feelings involved. And there's always going to be feelings involved in a relationship. And let's not be, let's not kid ourselves. This is a relationship. And it's one where he's, let's be honest, he's the one who's being asked to leave. He's not leaving on his own. And as we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday afternoon. Oh, fun. You were asked this on last Friday's Broncos Country Tonight with Anthony Rodriguez and Benjamin Albright. Okay. It was about whether or not the Denver Broncos should trade for Stefan Diggs. And I wrote the story about it mm-hmm. because they also asked the reporter who covers the Vikings for the athletic, what's going on with Stefan Diggs? Well, as we speak, there is a tweet that has been sent out that said that Stefan Diggs has deleted everything on his Instagram that is Vikings related. Ooh, okay. Did he replace it with Broncos stuff? Because that might make it even more relevant to what we're doing here. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you that question. With okay. That new information, for those who didn't listen to Broncos Country tonight on KOA, a plug out to our buddies Ryan Edwards and Benjamin Albright. And Anthony Rodriguez. And Anthony Rodriguez. Should the Broncos trade for Stefan Diggs? Yeah, you, you know, I, I think I, I, my answer is still pretty much the same that if they did, I wouldn't be angry about it. Right. If the price is right and you can get a guy with that kind of talent, you, you kind of have to Stefan Diggs is the type of guy who, and we talked about this on that, on that spot. He is one of the best receivers in traffic. He is when, if he's going up for a contested ball, he's going to come down with it more, more often than not, which is something that you need when you're playing with a quarterback like Case Keenum. Right when one of his best years was that year that Case Keenum ended up being the quarterback in Minnesota, and he was able to uh, take that you know sort of take that team to the playoffs and they just about made it to the. So it was a very good team. They was very lucky. He was perfect for Case Keenum. Now, to me, if you think about like a Drew Locke, for example, maybe that's something you need with Drew Locke because Drew Locke is as a young quarterback, he's going to make mistakes you have a receiver who can sort of mitigate those by being a guy who's good at the, you know, at the, at the point and he can go and, and get the ball and, and fight with defensive backs. That to me is something that is a good thing, but the price has to be right. So if they traded for him, would I be like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I probably would. If they didn't, would I be like, Oh no, no, nah, probably not. You know, whatever. It would be awesome if they did, but I, it wouldn't be devastating if they didn't. The thing that really connects this whole situation together and make and, and makes it make sense is Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer was Stefan Diggs' offensive coordinator in 2017 for the Minneapolis Miracle. I think Stefan Diggs had his best year with Pat Shermer as his offensive coordinator. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but Stefan Diggs knows if he's in a Pat Shermer offense, he's going to get the football. And I, as I said in the story on Mile High Report, it doesn't rule out them drafting a receiver at 15 either because Stefan Diggs is a complete receiver. He can do it all. He, he's a deep threat. He's a position, a possession receiver, as you said. He's good in traffic. He can do everything. You still go out and you get a Henry Ruggs or a Jerry Judy or a CeeDee Lamb because you need to be able to score points with the Kansas City Chiefs. So how do you do that? You give Drew Locke weapons. And if it's a weapon that already knows the offense he's going to be in, yeah, and he's a veteran, and I get the diva talk, I I totally get it, but he's a veteran. He's he knows Pat Shermer. He knows Pat Shermer's offense. He knows he's going to get the football, even with Cortland Sutton, and even with a potential rookie receiver at fifteen. So. As I said in the story, and as you just said, if it makes sense, do it. If it's a second-round pick, no. no. If it's a, a third or a fourth, 
absolutely I would do it because you're not going to get that kind of talent with your third or fourth round pick. More often than not, there are times that you could hit, but more often than not, you're not going to get the kind of the talent level and ability that Stefan Diggs has with a third round pick. So I got a question for you because here's here's a thought that I just had. Now, they, they may not want to do it for just a third or fourth round pick, but what if it was a fourth round pick and a guy like Deshaun Hamilton, who we just had Tampa Bay Trey on, right? Trevor said he likes Deshaun Hamilton and, and thinks he can still be a good receiver. Would you be willing to package Deshaun Hamilton and a fourth round pick for Stephon Diggs? Yes, without question. Because Deshaun Hamilton's never going to live up to being Stephen Diggs. No, exactly. So I, I think oh, I, I, would, I would absolutely yeah. do it. Look, I'll call Elway and we'll get we'll get this taken care of. That that sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a good idea. Um, you know, let's go ahead and, and shift a little bit. The other news that's that's out there right now, uh, I don't know that it's really news, but it's definitely something we can talk about. Uh, is Joe Flacco and his health and his and his potentially being. Uh, either a member of the Denver Broncos or another team in the NFL in 2020. Um, it's not going to be with the Denver Broncos. Right. I, I don't if think it's going to be with the Broncos. Plays in 2020, it will not be in Denver. We will not see anything elite in Denver, at least from Joe Flacco. Right. Not that we did in 2019 either, but... So I guess I guess the question then becomes if you're Joe Flacco at this point in your career it's it the neck injury was bad enough to sideline you for the rest of the season is it is it at a point now you're you're a Super Bowl MVP Super Bowl winning quarterback who is not you're not a Hall of Famer but you're definitely somebody who uh, made an impact on the league is it time to walk away is there is there really anything left to give to the NFL I think I think that's the question that a guy like Joe Flacco has to start asking himself as he's getting closer to the end of his career, or is it time to go ahead and move on and, and just say, you know, I, I've, I've played my last down. I've, I was a, a good enough quarterback to win a Super Bowl. It's time for me to move on. I mean, that's kind of the question I think we're at at this point. I think you have to look at it. If I was his agent or I was Joe Flacco, I would ask myself the question, am I going to be able to be better than I was in 2019? And especially coming off an injury where you could potentially risk getting further injured or have another injury. And I would say no, especially based on play, because he was horrible in 2019. For the games that he did play for Denver, he was horrible. Just as he was, well, I I mean, I, I think he was playing pretty well for the Ravens before Lamar Jackson took over, before Flacco got hurt in 2018. But I just, I, I, I think... With the risk of getting injured again, going to a new team, depending on the offense, I just I, I would hang it up. I, I would not risk further injury and playing as I did in 2019. While I get that you're a competitor, it's not going to get any better. And the likelihood that you're going to potentially play worse the next stop it, yeah. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be elite. I will say that. Right. You know, it's interesting though, and I think this is a this is the case for for most athletes. Most athletes don't hang it up when it's time to hang it up, right? Most athletes, most professional athletes, especially superstars or or guys who have been at the top level of of the game for a long time, they struggle with when is it time to leave. You know, I I, I think as as Bronco fans, we watched John Elway leave exactly when he needed to leave. We watched uh, Peyton Manning leave exactly when he needed to leave. There was, there's sort of a, that doesn't happen often. Most guys are retired before they actually retire. And, And you don't need to look any further than like an Eli Manning who was retired just a few games into the 2019 season. It just didn't become official until the season was over. And he decided he wasn't going to play for anybody else than the New York giants. So Two quarterbacks come to mind, Johnny Unitas and Joe Namath. Yeah, who both ended up playing for different teams. Joe Montana, same thing, although Joe Montana played pretty well for the Chiefs. Not that we want to talk about that, but uh, you know, a lot of guys struggle with knowing when it's time to leave. Jerry Rice played for how many teams before he officially hung it up? I mean, he, I think he, he played, played in Denver. He played, played in Denver. I mean, played in Denver. I think he played in Seattle. Uh, I mean, Oakland. Played in Oakland, absolutely. I, it's... 
guys don't want to quit even when it's time to quit. And I, I can understand that, right? We, I've had this conversation with my, with my brother and with my, with my uncle, the, the thing that is the hardest to do, uh, is to quit. And I think back to the last game of baseball that I ever played. And it's the saddest moment, uh, of my entire life. So I, I definitely understand the idea of not wanting to hang it up when it's time to hang it up. But you know, the game retires you before you retire from the game. Uh, and that's probably what's going to happen to Joe Flacco. And I think that's what happened to him in the 2019 season. And speaking of aging quarterbacks, as I have mentioned on this podcast before, my my guesstimation has been that Tom Brady is going to end up with the Las Vegas Raiders. And it's really starting to seem that way because it sounds like the Raiders are willing to throw $60 million at him over two years. So if Good. that happens, Robert Kraft is going to be like, okay, have fun in Vegas. And the reason is... I mean, you're, you have a new franchise in Vegas. You want to make a splash. Why not bring in Tom Brady? And I, I, I really do think that's where Tom Brady is going to end up. And then what does that mean for Derek Carr? Because as my wife mentioned to me, he was one of the few quarterbacks that we didn't mention last week on where these veteran that's quarterbacks could, could be on the move. That would mean Derek Carr is on the move. I have no idea where he's going to end up. I wouldn't want him. Yeah, I, I, that is actually a sort of a fascinating part of this. If you're, if you're Las Vegas, now here's the thought: if you're the Oakley or the, the Las Vegas Raiders, does it make sense to sign Tom Brady but keep Derek Carr so that when Tom Brady retires in two years, because you're going to give him a two-year contract, then Derek Carr is still there? I don't know that Derek Carr would be okay with that. But the Raiders might think that was a good idea. I don't know what their cap space looks like. But sure, waste the money. I'm all about them wasting money. This is fantastic. I'm all about Von Miller being able to rub his nuts all over Tom Brady two games a season. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Broncos.